0: Father, what a privilege it is to look into Your Word. What a privilege it is to try to teach Your Word. What a privilege it is to seek to follow our Savior. We confess we're weak, we're needy. We have no strength in and of ourselves. We appeal to You for Christ's sake by an increased anointing of the Holy Ghost upon our own souls as we open this blessed book. May we tremble before it and may we obey it completely. And may we preach it clearly. And may we live it savingly. This is our prayer even now in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Your life is the most important thing. You must be truly converted. You must be totally committed. No man can serve two masters. You cannot have a divided heart. You cannot have one foot in the church and one foot in the world. Now, many of you perhaps have to work in the world. You have to have a job. And that is what you must do. You do that job faithfully. But your calling is to preach and teach and serve our Savior but we glorify God in every area of life, even our work and our home and in our money, as well as in the church. Now, hear me carefully. A third absolute essential necessity in the life. Remember, we're talking today about the preacher's life. Now, tomorrow, God willing, we'll look at some aspects of important doctrine because Paul said, Take heed to yourself and to your doctrine. And if you do that it has two results, He said, you will both save yourself and you will save those that hear you. And so your life and your doctrine is the two most important things. Your life must be truly converted, must be totally committed disciple, and now number three, you must be growing in holy character. You must be growing in holy character. Uh, Let me mention something and I'll try to write this on the board here. I want to mention something about the necessity the necessity of holiness. Why do we insist in the life of the preacher and in the life of all Christians that holiness is absolutely essential? it's absolutely necessary. Well certainly because the grace of God in the heart begins to produce this fruit. But let us remember several important things. Why is it necessary? In relationship to God, hear me carefully, it is according to God's commandment, it is according to God's purpose, it is according to God's will. Uh, So God's commandment, God's purpose And God's will. you are ought to be familiar with some of these verses. First Peter one, like the holy one who calls you, be holy in all your behavior. For he himself has said, "You shall be holy, for I am holy." Now holiness is not an option for a special few secret committed Christians. Holiness is the call of all true believers. They are converted, they take up their cross, and they begin to walk the road of holiness unto heaven. God commands it right here, 1 Peter 1, write that verse down. Hear me carefully, it's according to God's purpose. God's purpose began in eternity past. Ephesians chapter 1, write it down, you're familiar with it. He chose us in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world in order that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Now you've got one God and three persons all together having one mind and one purpose. The Father from all eternity determined to save us unto holiness. The Son, Titus chapter... Two verse 24, he gave himself for us, listen carefully, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself a people for his own possession. The Father from all eternity predestined you and I to be holy, Ephesians chapter 1, the Son came to redeem us not just from the penalty and the guilt of sin but from the power and dominion and pollution of sin and so that we might be people redeemed from every lawless deed it is according to the work of the spirit first peter chapter 1 the spirit of holiness is that first peter second peter first peter or second peter? Peter, peter chapter 1 now listen carefully most of you guys are young, and your brain is still soft. My brain. I used to be able to tell you book, chapter, and verse. Then it became book and chapter. <laughs> then it became book. Then it became what the writer of Hebrews said, as somebody somewhere once said. <laughs> so that's where I am now. So you got to help me with these verses. I think it's first Peter one, the spirit of holiness. Hear it carefully. One God, three persons, one purpose to glorify God by establishing his kingdom through the exaltation of his son, through the gospel. That's the message of the Bible. God's glory, God's kingdom, God's son, God's gospel. That's where God is going, manifesting his glory. How is he going to do it? By establishing his kingdom. How is he going to establish his kingdom? By exalting his son. How did he exalt his son? Through the gospel. Now where are we? We are in the kingdom. The church is the people of the kingdom of God. You know, God's kingdom, when the Bible talks about kingdom, it talks about it generally. God's universal kingdom, God has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all, Psalm 103. There's a spiritual kingdom. When Jesus came, he said the kingdom of God is at hand. The promised kingdom kingdom has come by the entry of the king into this world. And when we are saved and born again, we enter into the kingdom. And so where are we in God's purpose? We are the people of God's kingdom, the church, whereby he will glorify himself. To him be the glory in Christ Jesus and the church throughout all eternity. Why is holiness necessary? because God commanded it. It is according to God's purpose. It is the end of Christ's death. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons, one purpose. And it is, of course, God's will. First Thessalonians 4. This is the will of God, your sanctification, your holiness. You understand what we're saying? That's why holiness is crucial. Number two, why is holiness necessary? It's the only way to heaven. Now hear me carefully. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, write it down. Pursue peace with all men and the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Now hear me carefully. Holiness is not a requirement for salvation. It is not a condition of salvation. Growing holiness is a consequence, a fruit, a result, as we heard this morning, of being saved. Jesus put it this way, straight is the gate, Matthew 7, narrow is the way that leads to eternal life, and few are those that find it. What is the gate? Jesus said, I am the way. I am the door of the sheepfold. He that enters in by me will have life. How do we enter in the kingdom of God? By faith in Christ. We become in Christ. We become a member of the kingdom of God. Listen carefully. Once you go through the gate... There's only one road that leads to heaven. And that is the road of holiness. The highway of holiness, Isaiah called it, the path of obedience, the path of discipleship. Now if a man says, I've been through the gate, but he's walking the broad way, what do we say? You haven't been through the gate. Because there's only one way to heaven once you enter that narrow gate, and that's the straight Way So what we're saying is, it's the only road to heaven. Now we're not saying that holiness is the basis or grounds of getting to heaven. It's the road we travel on the way to heaven. You understand what we're saying? Mm-hmm. Most people don't understand that because as we heard this morning, we are built to embrace legalism. That is something I do to add to, to gain or maintain my Salvation. It's the crucial question of the relationship between justification and sanctification. You understand what we're saying? Hebrews 12:14 and Matthew 7 tell us that uh, holiness is the road we travel to heaven. It's not the basis of our earning the ticket to get there. Quickly number three, uh, I know you probably can't read this writing. It is a qualification for leadership. You know the verses. 1 Timothy 3, Titus chapter 1. Every preacher ought to spend time on his knees regularly praying over those verses. 1 Timothy chapter 3, the qualifications of elders. And Titus chapter 1, the qualifications of elders. It is it is uh, what do we say? Uh, what would I just say? Qualifications. Qualifications. Qualifications for leaders. This writing could be interpreted as English, Hindi, <laughs> Hindi, Egyptian hieroglyphics and Hebrew. But you get the idea. A qualification for leaders. Write the verses down. 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1. We'll only say these things about those things. If you read those 14 or 15 qualifications in First Timothy chapter 3. There's one word that is the most important word in the entire passage. It's a little word. Huh. An elder must be blameless. Not maybe. Not if it's convenient. Not if you know you think you want to try to do it. Paul said don't lay your hands too hastily on any man unless and until the qualifications are evident. Out of these 14 or 15 qualifications what's the emphasis? Listen carefully. Life. (coughs) Doctrine. Gift, family. Only one of them has to do with gift. He must be able to teach. He can open the Word of God, understand its meaning, explain it fairly clearly, and apply it directly. That's a gift. Hear me carefully. The other emphasis is on your life your family, and your, what do we say? Your doctrine. You understand what we're saying. You may have a Ph.D. in theology. You may have gone to a great seminary. You may have speaking gift. You may have good theology. That's all crucial. That's important. But hear me carefully. The emphasis to Paul is in regards to life. Don't let anyone look down on your youthfulness, he told uh, Timothy chapter 4 1 Timothy but in uh, speech conduct love faithfulness purity show yourself an example to those that believe your greatest message is your life you must preach with your life your truth must come forth from the life John said what we've seen what we've heard What our hands have handled, this we proclaim to you. They were preaching the reality of an experienced Christ rooted in an understanding of doctrinal truth. Hear me carefully. It's a qualification for leaders. When's the last time you got on your knees and opened your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and asked God to search your heart? Now write these verses down. Acts 20 again. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 to 12, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and then 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus. Preachers ought to live in those passages, ought to get on our knees regularly and ask God, Search me, O God, know my ways, see if there's any harmful way within me, lead me in the way of everlasting life. That's what we must do. The word of God must search us. You hold 1 Timothy 3 in front of your life as a mirror and examine yourself. And then once you hold it in front of your life, hold it in front of your wife. And ask her, her opinion of your life in light of these passages. Have you ever asked your wife that? Does your wife speak directly to you? Or is your wife scared to tell you the truth? (laughs) I've got a wife, as I said privately here, that when I don't do right, she gives me the right foot of Christian admonition. (laughs) Right here in the rear end. And I thank God for that. You better pray for a godly wife. You ask her... Honey, uh, what am I doing right? What am I doing wrong? Tell me the truth. Because if you're going to stand before men, your life, your wife, your children, your doctrine, and your gift must be plain and obvious. That's why holiness is absolutely necessary. God commands it, it's according to His eternal purpose, and it is a command, a, respectio- a reflection of His will. It is the only way to heaven. Hear me again. Holiness does not earn your way to heaven. It's simply the road you walk on the way to heaven. You understand what we're saying? Now, sometimes there's seven, four, three steps forward, two steps back. Sometimes we fall in a ditch. But God loves us and he picks us up and he washes us off and he gives us that right foot and we go on down the road because he loves us enough to discipline us. How about another one? Why is it necessary? Because it gives us a, what's the word for credibility in Chinese? <coughs> Kshintu, Kshintu, credibility, what's the word in Hindi? Credibility. What does that mean? You are trustworthy. You are blameless. People believe in you. They trust you. They can put their weight upon you. What you say and what you do is the real thing. They obey. They believe your word. You have credibility you have an example. And all through the scriptures, if you can't say what Paul said to the people at Corinth, follow me as I follow Christ. You don't need to be a leader. Follow me as I follow Christ. I don't look at me and spend all your time looking at me, but follow me as we both together follow Jesus Christ. Look quickly in the book of Philippians we're talking about the necessity of holiness for giving us a good example. Philippians, now we're going through this and surveying it very quickly but I just want to impress upon us what I'm trying to impress upon my own conscience as well. The absolute necessity of growing holiness in the life of the Christian. Philippians there's a verse in here somewhere that tells us, I want to say it's in chapter Where's the verse, brethren? about the example. Uh, here it is, verse chapter three, verse 17. Now Paul says this again and again, "Brethren, join in following my example." And observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk of whom I now tell you that are weeping. They're enemies of the cross of Christ. You must be an example. You tell men to love your wife. They must see you love your wife. You tell men not to love money. You don't have the greedy hand. You tell men don't beat your children like a dog. You don't beat your children. Now, you love them. You discipline them. But let me carefully. You don't spend any time with them. If you don't love them as a father, you don't hardly have any right other than the bare command of the word of God. Fathers, discipline your children. But hear me carefully. You spend time with your kids. Now, most of us have grown kids. Most some of us have grandchildren. People need to see your life, your wife, your children, your relationship with your family as an example. That's what we saw when we began in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Don't let anyone look down on your youthfulness. You know, uh, people in this part of the world, they used to anyway, uh, respect gray hair, white hair. Uh, with age was supposed to be wisdom. that a lot of f- old foolish men in the world today. <laughs> I tried to come to China about 40 years ago, but God wouldn't let me come because I didn't have any gray hair. And I didn't have any wrinkles. And I didn't have any experience in life. Had a lot of zeal, had a lot of knowledge, had a good theology, had a little gift but I didn't have the example of a proven, tested life. Because when you go to China and you're sitting in a room about like this and it's full of people that are 40 and 50 and 60 years old and some of them have been four or five years in prison and they paid a great price to serve the Lord and you're 25 years old, wet behind the ears, you're going to tell them you've got to pay a price. <laughs> now they don't buy that. They'll sit there like this. Uh, amen amen but in their heart uh -uh, uh -uh. (laughs) because you don't have any credibility when you stand up to preach what you say and what you do must be the same thing you must be blameless that doesn't mean perfect but it means nobody can look at your life and say brother Julio is a great man but Mm -hmm. There can't be any but in your life you got to be blameless not perfect, but you got to be a testimony. So it gives us credibility and it makes us to be a good example. I can't get down that low to write, just write it down. It, it gives us a good example. Any questions on this so far? Yes, sir. In your example of uh, talking about blamelessness is um, an experience. Do you think that your inexperience uh, put some amount of blame on you? It didn't necessarily put blame. They perhaps knew I was sincere. They knew what I was saying was true. But uh, it's a matter of uh, reserve, question, doubt. Not, Not the fact that they didn't think I was necessarily inconsistent. Or that I was uh, blameworthy, but I was inexperienced. Uh, what is this young fella going to do? Now, you remember Job had three friends that were older and they didn't give him the right advice. They said a few good things, but they didn't say it properly to imply it to him. But Elihu, the young fellow, he said, I thought age should speak and increase years, teach wisdom. But it's the spirit of a man. It's the breath of the Almighty that gives understanding. I've seen plenty of old fools. You can go to Chiang Mai, Thailand right now and it's full of old fools. Men that can't find a woman over there. They're 65, 70, 80 years old. They got a belly like an elephant and they're ungodly men and they're walking around with a 20 year old Thai girl. You can see it everywhere. Bangkok, Chiang Mai, look. We don't want to be old fools. When you get older and you don't guard your heart, some of your old sins that you had mortified in your youth, unless you're watching yourself, will crop back up in your life. Laziness, wasting time, eating too much, laying in the bed. When we get older, we need to be wiser, We need to be more blameless, we need to be more disciplined, we need to be more loving so that we can be an example. An example. Because you preach with your words and you preach with your life. That's why holiness is absolutely necessary. So I wouldn't say they don't blame you when you're young brother. They just maybe doubt your abilities and your credibility and things of that nature. Any further questions? Yes, sir. Yeah. So, 1 Timothy 3.7 says, And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach in the snare of the devil. I've heard different takes on this passage. What would you say? Well, what's the snare of the devil? Was it not pride in the beginning? But what does that have to do with outsiders? Read the verse again, brother. What does it say? It says, "And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church, so that he will not fall under reproach and the snare of the devil." Well, certainly he must have a good reputation, in that the devil is constantly seeking to accuse him before men. But that's not necessarily. It could be the snare of the devil. That doesn't the snare of the devil doesn't necessarily mean that it was pride. It means the devil can catch him and can overcome him by his poor example before the ungodly. That's a possible interpretation. That's all I've got right now brother. Anybody else have another thought on that? Two possibilities. Pride or the fact that he will be accused before the world by his lack of blamelessness and therefore fall prey to the devil. What's the devil's big trick? He seeks, when somewhere in the Old Testament was going out to the war, uh, The, uh, the, the, the uh, I forget which side said this, fight not with the small, but fight against the great and the leader. The devil wants you to fail. He wants you to be blameworthy. He wants you to fall into sin. He wants you to lose your credibility. And hear me carefully. Trust in credibility takes a long, long, long time to earn and to develop. But you can lose it in one day. Mm-hmm. One day. Listen carefully. May God keep us to the end. You know, like I said, I I see the end from here, but I ain't there yet. And a lot of men bomb out at the end. David, lazy, sluggish. In the spring, in the time when the kings were supposed to go out to war and fight the Lord's battle, David stayed at home. He was lazy. He neglected his responsibility. And the next thing you do, it led to adultery, murder, murder. Line and the dissolution of his kingdom. One glance, one glance, but that one glance came out of a lazy irresponsibility at a later time in his life. I've seen young, I feel the temptation myself. You've been after it 50, 55 years. You need to slow down. You need to retire. You need to rest. You need to coast. You don't need to get up and pray. You don't need to guard your conscience. You don't need to read the word like you used to. You just need to just trust God and just float along into a heavenly retirement. It doesn't work that way. It's just what the devil wants you to hear, to say. Don't do it, men. The habits you form now will either keep you or kill you in the rest of your life. Now's the time to be disciplined, sacrificial, loving, keep a good conscience, and a close walk with God and a close relationship with your wife. Is anybody in here hiding secret sin Has anybody in here got their eyes on another woman? Is there anybody in here addicted to pornography? Is there anybody in here that's mistreating your wife and your children? Is there anybody in here that's got a secret love of money? Is there anybody in here hiding secret sin in there? I'm not talking about the ordinary struggles we all have. I'm talking about an unresolved, unconfessed root of sin in our life that nobody knows about but you and God. And that's what David forgot. But the things that David did were evil in the sight of the Lord. Tried to cover his sin, but he that covers his sin will not prosper. He that confesses and forsakes it will obtain mercy, the Proverbs say. Let us be living on our knees with an attitude of consistent confession of sin. Asking God to search our heart and see if there be any evil, sinful way within us. Because, hear me carefully, you've got a God that says you must be holy as I am holy. You've got a God that purposed from all eternity that you be holy. You've got a Savior that shed His precious (coughs) blood. blood, to purify you, not just not only to pardon you from the guilt of sin, but to purify you from its pollution and its dominion. And you've got a God that say you don't have to worry, what is God's will? Well God said, this is the will of God, your sanctification, your holiness, your growth in the image of Jesus Christ. And you have got to be an example. Listen carefully. Some men begin well, but they don't finish. You know the marathon, that long, long race? Everybody's enthused at the beginning. Mm -hmm. At the 10-kilometer mark, people start falling out. 20-kilometer mark. There's just a few left. We've got to run until the end. We cannot give up, we cannot turn back. He that puts his hand to the plow and looks back. Now men, hear me carefully. I've been in rooms about this size in different parts of the world. And I've come back five years later. And I said, what happened to Brother Joe? Where's Brother Joe? I don't see Brother Joe. Brother Joe fell away. He's not with us anymore. Listen carefully. God has promised to keep you by his grace, according to his purpose, by the power of his spirit, according to his word until the end. But that doesn't mean you float along on a flowery bed of ease and suspect that an angel is going to pick you up and carry you down the road to holiness. Oh, the way to heaven is paved with the stones of difficulty and challenge. Paul put it this way, I buffet my body, I make it my slave, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified, cast away, rejected. Not that I have attained it brethren, now we're not trying to put the fear of God in us." But we are trying to put the fear of God in us. There's a holy fear. A perfect love casts out all fear, because fear involves punishment. And you heard this morning, nothing you can do will ever separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. If He loved you from all eternity with an everlasting sovereign covenant love, and the Lord Jesus Christ shed His own blood to purchase your soul as well as your sanctification, and the Spirit of God has sealed you until the day of redemption, then you have promised that He will keep you firm until the end, if we continue." Now, that continuation is a certainty, because all the promises are yea and amen in Christ Jesus. But that doesn't guarantee that we can sit for an hour in an afternoon class. So I see a few of us here fading fast. So we need to pray, drink some more coffee, and try to come back for one last hour. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we have a firm word from heaven. We should be holy as you are holy. And we have the confidence of that eternal purpose, that sacrificial death, that sealing, indwelling spirit. Lord, we just pray for grace and ask for help. And we might continue on this road. Now, Lord, I don't know these men, but you do. And I trust they're as sincere as they can be. And I trust they want to be blameless. And I trust we want to honor and glorify and please you. So we just pray, God, that you would search our heart. See if there be any hurtful way within us. Lead us in the path of life everlasting. Sustain us in every area of life that wife, child, family, friend, church, and the world could look at us and say, that man's not perfect, but he's blameless. God, help us and strengthen us as we walk this way. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.